Good morning. Rise and freedom. Happy President's Day and welcome to the Wake Up America show with Austin Peterson. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. And as you can probably see in the chats or if you follow me on Twitter at all, it is, yes, my birthday. Thank you for all the nice words and wishes. I appreciate you very much. I had a fantastic weekend. My lovely wife took us for a little trip, went to Kansas City and spent some time with the family. We went to a sushi restaurant, you know, the one that has like the little revolving trays that come around and you can just kind of like pick the ones off that you really like. We had a great time and I got to watch my nephew Mario start to try all these exotic new foods he'd never seen, which was fun for us. And I got to see my sister, my dad, his girlfriend, my lovely wife there with us, just starting to show a little bit of the baby bump, which is exciting. Steffi P for Liberty. And then we went to the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library. Pretty good trip for a president's day. Yeah, lots of fun. And of course, it's always thought provoking to go and visit Harry S. Truman's museum. He is buried there. His grave is there along with his wife and his child and her husband. Uh, and it goes through the history of the major decisions that Harry S. Truman had to make during his presidency. After it was over, Stephanie and I were sitting there just having a wonderful conversation about what it is that we believe, what would we have done if we were Harry S. Truman? Like, probably the most interesting part of the conversations that we had was that whenever Harry Truman had to make some major decision, it was either gonna be one way or another, but it didn't seem like there really was a right answer necessarily. Like there was no perfect answer. And we knew what we were supposed to do if you were going to be a by the book libertarian and you were going to sit down and you're going to make a decision based on what libertarian principles tell you to do. But then we started having this conversation about, well, then are we really like having free thoughts or being independent if we're sort of tied to a dogma and we're supposed to do exactly what the book says? And besides, which book, right? There's no Bible of libertarianism for us to refer to. Libertarians agree on certain things and disagree on other things. It was a really thought-provoking trip because the Harry S. Truman Museum, as I said later, is deadly to ideologies and dogma because you realize that if you ever find yourself in a position of power, like a president of the United States, you may realize that the decisions that you make are going to come with downsides no matter what, that there is no utopia, that there might be some decision or some secret third path that you might be able to take in order to have a situation which benefits everyone. As we all know, that doesn't exist in politics. It might exist in the free market where I can go and get an Xbox and trade for cash and everybody's happy, but political solutions and decisions will frequently leave at least one party out in the cold. Um, somebody's not going to be happy with the solution. These are longer conversations and one that we probably need to have, but maybe we shouldn't have at the top of the show. What do you say, huh? Maybe it's time for us to move on. Of course, we will be talking about the presidents this morning. Somebody sent me an article this morning that said new presidential rankings place Obama in the top 10, Reagan and Trump below Biden. Well, I don't know whether to hit the laugh button, the boo button. Um, but it looks like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. New presidential rankings placing Obama in the top 10. Reagan and Trump below Biden. Hit the laugh button again, AP. If you watched the show last week, I went through the top five most libertarian presidents. You all unlocked that content. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I uploaded it all to YouTube so you can go back and watch them at any time. And of course, since it's President's Day this week, and we're celebrating George Washington's birthday, 
and Abraham Lincoln's birthday, which I know is uh, near to my birthday as well, which is quite fun and ironic um, uh, because I ran for president once. Uh, we are going to go this week through the top five least libertarian presidents. I know you're all looking forward to that. Does Joe Biden make America the list? America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him, uh, put, excuse me. You're right. You're well, you'll have to find out. You can unlock the bonus content this week by making Rumble Rant donations to the show. And if we receive $50 in Rumble Rant donations, or if we make enough sales at APforLibertyShop.com by the end of the show today, uh, then you will unlock today's bonus content with one of the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. Today's bonus content, I think you'll find especially spicy, uh, and I know you all have a reaction. I was going to make it the top five worst presidents. That's rather subjective, whereas the idea of someone being the least libertarian president is a little bit more of an objective criteria, criteria don't you think? When I was a young man, I was always full of certainty. Now that I become a middle-aged man, I find myself more full of doubt. And I learn the limits of my own knowledge. And I think I become less dogmatic and more pragmatic as I go along. And I think that's just a natural thing to happen. Big news today that I heard was that the president of Argentina, Javier Malay, is going to be in Washington, D.C. at CPAC. Dang it, I should have been there. Oops. I heard a rumor that he wasn't going to be there. I don't know. Uh, we're trying to work out a situation where I can be in the same room with him, do a nice little interview, sit down with him, have a conversation about the principles and ideas that make us libertarians. Uh, but looks like that's going to have to wait. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to make that happen at least at some point this year. Uh, but it looks like it's not going to happen this weekend. But I'm kind of excited to hear what he's going to say at CPAC. He'll probably have a meeting with Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump wins the presidency this fall, then we could see a triumvirate of libertarian populism in the world. <laughs> Where's my evil button? There he is. Uh, the evil laugh button. Uh, that's, uh, I, know, I know why I'm laughing evilly. It's because I know that many of you are going to say, Donald Trump, not a real libertarian. I don't know. I know that. Okay. It doesn't matter because he's definitely going to be a lot more copacetic with Javier Malay's policies than Joe Biden will be. So this fall, if Donald Trump wins, Javier Malay, Donald Trump team up, they go get, what's her name, Georgia Maloney from Italy, or maybe Geert Wilders from the Netherlands, and we have like this international pushback against leftist socialist wokeism. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? If we weren't commies, then we wouldn't have to starve so much. Um, the Wake Up America show is brought to you by viewers and listeners just like you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Do me a favor, will you? It's my birthday. Click the like button and subscribe to the channel. If it's your first time watching the show today, we'd love to have you come back here and join us on the regs every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. The Wake Up America show streams live, and we'd be glad to have you come back and join us uh, Mondays through Fridays. We have a lot of good times, and we make good friends here. You can send us a text if you'd like to have your voice heard on the show at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. At 7.30 a.m. Central Time this morning, we're going to hear from John Miltimore. He's the editor-at-large of the Foundation for Economic Education. Mondays with Miltimore means that we're going to talk to him a little bit about that $355 million judgment made against Donald Trump in New York City. What the hell?
unbelievable shakedown of the former president who made a surprise appearance this last weekend in Philadelphia at SneakerCon, debuting his new gold shoes. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. I've got some clips and some pictures. What did you think? Did you see the, the gold shoes? Uh, I'll show them to you if you haven't seen them just yet. $400 high top sneakers in gold. Um, uh, all right, I'll let the cat out of the bag here. Actually, I thought they were pretty awesome. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up, Michael Scott. I thought that they were beautiful. I liked them. It's got it's the kind of thing that I would wear just to get everybody talking. Right. Because, you you know, the kind of outfits that I usually wear in the show anyway, about as bright, brighter than this birthday balloon that I got sitting here. Thank you, Steffi. Uh, And uh, we'll we'll talk about Trump's shoes at eight o'clock this morning. I've got a special guest for you that is joining us for the very first time on the show. His name is Colin Wright. And he is an evolutionary biologist who's going to talk to us a little bit today about why there are two genders. Yay! <laughs> Liberty Shindig is enjoying the Madisonian Mornings coffee this morning. I'm glad you're enjoying it, Ken. Appreciate you very much. This stuff is great. Yeah. Now you see why I gave that five stars. It's a delicious roast. If you haven't tried our newest coffee, you can get it at apforlibertyshop.com. Chrissy Katz says, happy birthday. Enjoy your day. We're glad to have you here. Blue Trike, T-Mill, Mary Kramer, Bruce Burt Whistle. Nice to see everybody here. I love seeing all of our friends here joining us today. Are we having fun yet? Good. All right. The, the, all right. So let's go ahead and get to the news. I spent 10 minutes blathering about nothing. New presidential rankings place Obama in top 10. Reagan and Trump below Biden. Some recent presidents were more likely to have a partisan divide in rankings. No, Sherlock. A new ranking of presidents by a group of self-styled experts determined that Abraham Lincoln is America's greatest president. I can hear the libertarians this morning now. No, God! No, God, please, no! No! Yes, yes. Lincoln topped the list of presidents in the 2024 Presidential Greatness Project, they call it. Uh, it's a survey that they did for the third time, and according to a release from this project, they ta- tout themselves as the foremost organization of social science experts in presidential politics. <laughs> so the 154 people who were the respondents to the survey included current and recent members of the recent Presidents and Executive Politics section of the American Political Science Association, as well as scholars who have recently published peer-reviewed academic research in key related scholarly journals or academic presses. Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, they certainly sound official, don't they? All 154 of them. The respondents were asked to rank presidents on a scale of 0 to 100, with 0 being a failure, 50 being average, and 100 being great. Rounding out the top five in the rankings were President Franklin Delano Roosevelt at number two. (laughs) You guys send some rants here and unlock the bonus content so you can see who who today's top five least libertarian presidents are. Uh, The top five of the presidents here, Roosevelt number two, George Washington at three. Okay. Theodore Roosevelt as four. No, God. And Thomas Jefferson at five. Honestly, Thomas Jefferson did not make my top five libertarian presidents. You can boo me all you like. I've seen what makes you cheer. 
Because the fact of the matter is, is that it's one thing to write a Declaration of Independence. It's another thing to actually have power and to become the president of the United States. And we judge you based on what you do, not what you say, which is why if we were to make a top 10 libertarian presidents, you might say that Thomas Jefferson could, in theory, make it into that list, but definitely not the top five. He did push an embargo that starved half the East Coast. Quest Fanning is dropping a $5 tip in the jar. What's up, Quest? Said Abraham Lincoln, the great tyrant, inarguably a tyrant breaking laws, violating the U.S. Constitution left and right, preventing a lawful separation, but he ended illegal U.S. slavery. Was he a good tyrant? Good question there, Quest. Thank you. Uh, We appreciate that very much. Uh, Let's see. So respondents were tracked by their political affiliation and ideology. Here's, oh, here's the the last place. Okay, so we had the top five. Here's how this survey ranked the people in, in last place. Trump was ranked last place in the survey, being ranked worse than James Buchanan at 44, Andrew Johnson at 43, Franklin Pierce at 42, and William Henry Harrison at 41. Okay, so you uh, 100, remember, 156 respondents, and they're all political science majors and people who write political screeds for a living. So of course they're going to nominate, they're going to nominate Donald Trump to be the worst president in U.S. history. Donald Trump is absolutely not the worst president in U.S. history. He's not even close. I would definitely rank him as higher than Woodrow Wilson. Wouldn't you agree? Would you place Woodrow Wilson in the top five of the worst presidents in U.S. history? It's a good question to ask. Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, and Trump were more likely to be ranked higher by conservatives, duh, or Republicans, with Reagan being ranked an average of fifth by Republican respondents, Bush 19th, and Trump 41st. Among Democrat respondents, Reagan was rated an average of 18th, Bush 33rd, and Trump 45th. Okay, so why is it that in the Republican or conservative respondents to this survey, why is Trump ranked 41st amongst conservatives and Republicans? Good question, right? You would think that conservatives would rank Donald Trump higher than 41st out of all of the presidents. No. Because the type of people who are going to respond to a survey like this, who are the ones who are going to get peer-reviewed in academic journals that are going to be part of a social science political curriculum, those are not the type of people that are going to like Donald Trump. These are going to be your average garden party, croquet-playing, polo game-watching, visit with the British king on the weekend, American conservatives. These are not the type of American conservatives that you're going to meet on the street here in Jefferson City or hanging out in Cole County, going down to the Lowman Club and hanging out with uh, uh, Ron Fitzwater, the mayor of Jefferson City, conservative Republicans. These are like your grandpa's country club Republican, uh, uh, out of touch conservative types, right? These are your Mitt Romney conservatives, right? These are people who wish that John McCain would come back. These are the people who are like, Wow, I wish Dan Crenshaw was running for the president of the United States. These are the conservatives who are like, you know what? Honestly, Joe Biden is is better than Donald no, Trump. Yeah, God. no, they these people no, exist. God. Where do you think where do you think that this survey came from? There's no way that a Republican or a conservative would rank Donald Trump so low unless he was a John McCain 
Mitt Romney style Republican conservative. Aren't you glad that the Republican Party isn't dominated by Republicans like that anymore? It's not your grandpa's Republican Party. Don't forget, if you want to unlock that bonus content, all we need to do is raise $45 more or make $45 worth of sales at AP for Liberty Shop at the end of the show. Uh, by the end of the show, and you will unlock one of the top five least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. All right, let's have a little bit of fun. At SneakerCon in Philadelphia, real Donald Trump signs gold Trump sneakers. I think this is awesome. I mean, I know people are saying these are gaudy, these are ugly, these gold sneakers, but I think it's a coup. I mean, obviously, the guy's got to raise $355 million because of that judgment that got nailed against him uh, in that New York City court, and he'd have to sell a lot of sneakers. I think somebody said that he would have to sell something like 800,000 pairs of these sneakers in order, which I think he honestly could do uh, if he were to manage to get enough of them, but they sold out immediately, and I don't know how many they had. Uh, but I saw already that some people had bought them and then were selling them, reselling them online for thousands of dollars. So these gold sneakers cost 400 bucks. Here he is showing up to SneakerCon in Philadelphia. He invites this little uh, squeaky uh, lady to come up on stage for him. This this video clip cracked me up. He invites this young lady up there to come up there, talk about his, his sneakers. Take a listen to this woman uh, while, there be, while, there, while there are these thunderous chants of uh, USA, USA, and let's go Brandon. By the way, thank you, Quest Fanning. He says, where do Mrs. Wilson and Robert Lansing rank? Ah, uh, good question. Good question. Um, here's this young lady. Take a listen to him, uh, to her talking about Donald Trump. Yes, we need him. He's a Christian. He's a good, honest man. They're after him for no reason. Go out and vote for Trump. <laughs> Look at her go, God, didn't she just love that voice there? Liberty Shindig says sneaker people are crazy. This will be a great investment. I know, right? Honestly, I think that was pretty brilliant. Uh, that was pretty brilliant of the former president to make it. <laughs> they're shouting, "Let's go, Brandon!" No, they're not. <laughs> they're saying the F Joe Biden is what they're saying there. All right. Uh, so, yeah, Donald Trump goes to sneaker con in Philadelphia. Fox News weighed in on it, thinking this is going to be good for the black vote. Connecting with black America because they love sneakers or into sneakers. They love the You know, th this is a big deal, certainly in, in the inner city. So when you have Trump roll out his sneaker line, they're like, wait a minute. This is cool. He's reaching them on a level that defies and is above. Don't you just love this? Like, like this is the whitest person that has ever lived, and he's out there. He's like, this is going to get the black people to vote for him in the inner city because the black people really love him. <laughs> <laughs> the black people love the sneakers in the inner cities. I mean, he literally said that. It's kind of hilarious. You know what's funny, though? He's probably right. 
he's probably right. The black people are going to love that. Uh, but I love that, like this Ron DeSantis uh, uh, Twitter account that posted this video, who is still butthurt about Ron DeSantis, like, get over it, says Fox News thinking Trump will win over black voters by selling gaudy sneakers just shows how out of touch they are. Oh, no. How dare you? How dare you? Right. Come on, guys. It's over. DeSantis is back being the governor of Florida. He's doing a great job down there. Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. It is what it is. Stop being little whiny bitches, okay? Cryptid politics with the little DeSantis picture there. Come on. Uh, Jody Rankin says, they they love sneakers. Liberty Shindig says, I'm getting hate for posting that this was a smart move by Trump. Don't, dude, fight back, right? It's the, you're absolutely correct. People love this stuff. Like this, the, the, it's very elitist and out of the real out of touch people who are the people who think that this wasn't a good idea or think that people aren't going to wear those sneakers. I'm not going to lie. If I was doing like a red carpet or something like that, I would wear a tuxedo with these American flag Trump sneakers. I think they're that, I think they're that cool. <laughs> You don't get it. First of all, look at those awesome American flag d- patterns on the side of the sneaker, right? That high top sneaker. Like the T, I could take it or, le- or leave it. But just the design of the pattern itself, as somebody who sells sneakers, I-, I think they're awesome. As a matter of fact, since you can't get any Donald Trump sneakers through the um, through his uh, his own sneaker line, FYI, we have our own sneaker line over at APforLibertyShop.com. Yes. And you can get uh, Donald Trump, Andy Warhol inspired design at Donald Trump men's mesh sneakers. So if you're into Donald Trump being on your shoe, then Donald Trump's men mesh, men's mesh sneakers are available at APForLibertyShop.com. Our most popular shoe that we've been selling these days lately uh, are these Venom Velocity Gadsden Liberty sneakers. I know a lot of people really enjoy these. Um, so you can get some awesome Don't Tread on Me Venom Velocity Gadsden Liberty sneakers at AP4LibertyShop.com. If we sell one pair of sneakers by the end of the show, then that's enough to unlock the content for the day. Don't you want to see who are one of the top five least libertarian presidents? Uh, that's right. You can uh, get a pair of shoes and unlock the bonus content for the show today at AP4LibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four apforlibertyshop.com. There you go. So get yourself a pair of Venom Velocities or some Donald Trump sneakers if you're into that kind of thing. Go to sell them on eBay and see what people say. All right. Uh, Hillary Clinton claims Trump is going to use the army to round up Americans (laughs) and use the Insurrection Act to militarize law enforcement because he's, quote, enamored of Putin. Can Ukraine survive another year? Will the United States step up? And will the United States continue to be uh, a leader of NATO, given uh, former President Trump's recent comments? You know, President Biden said this week, supporting this bill, the one for foreign aid and military aid, is standing up to Putin. Opposing it is uh, playing into Putin's hands. Yes. What? I mean, you're a former senator. <laughs> you know, the Senate came kicking and screaming, but they passed it. But the but for that Kamala House hasn't there. passed it. Right. Where do you think, you know, in the political realm, this is going to go? Well, one thing I know for sure, if this bill 
from the Senate were ever put on the floor of the House, it would pass. It would pass uh, overwhelmingly because the people who are preventing it, starting with the uh, Speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, um, are not doing America's business. They're doing Donald Trump's business. And why is Donald Trump so enamored of Putin? Well, part of it is he's a wannabe dictator. He has told us that repeatedly. He even said the other day, let's uh, basically get out of NATO and, you know, encourage Putin to do what he wants to do. Wait, 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 wait. He said get out of NATO? Shut up. Donald Trump say that? I'm reading the news this morning. He doesn't say Donald Trump wanted to get out of NATO, but if he did, I'd be really excited. Hillary Clinton warns Trump will seek to withdraw U.S. from NATO if elected. What, the one that Harry Truman set up? Wow. Oh, God. Now we have to worry about whether or not Joe Biden is going to get replaced by Hillary Clinton. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in a race car. Thank you, Mr. President. Joe Biden apparently making a higher ranking than Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan in that presidential rankings list. What a joke. All right. Well, I'm tired of joking around. I'm ready to get serious. John Miltimore is the editor at large of the Foundation for Economic Education. He's going to talk to us about that 355 million smackaroonies that Donald Trump owes to not the people they say he defrauded. The government of the state of New York makes no sense. We'll talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America. Good morning. Rise and freedom. Happy President's Day. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Click like and do what Billy Chafin just did and subscribe to the channel. We stream live here on Rumble every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time on the Wake Up America show. Thank you to Rumble.com for making us part of your Rumble Creator Partner Program. That means you can only watch the Wake Up America show live here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. Thank you so much to rumble.com for all of the features and for all the support and love. We appreciate that as well as our regular audience listeners who are joining us today. You can send us a text and let us know what's on your mind at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. All right, well, since it's President's Day and it is Monday, we're going to get a guest in here on the show. His name's John Miltimore, and he is the editor-at-large of the Foundation for Economic Education. If he ran for president, I would vote for him twice. Good morning, John. How you doing, brother? Hey, doing great, AP. How you doing? All right, glad to have you here, John. Uh, I read this little news story to you real quick before we got started to let you know all, all these academics, uh, social science professors, uh, political science professors, people who they say they touted, 156 of them, had touted that they had peer-reviewed articles published about um, history and the presidents, they all unanimously named Abraham Lincoln as the best president in American history. Um, Barack Obama made the top 10. Dead last was Donald Trump. Your reaction? I'm not surprised at all. You know, I, like, I studied history in graduate school and uh, got a good look at the, the landscape there. And it, a long time ago, I realized in academia, Presidents get rewarded. The more you grow government, and the more wars you fight, that's that's gonna that's gonna help you. And and Donald Trump didn't start any wars, and he, and he didn't grow government very much. I mean, there, there's some things we could we could find there. Um, but but yeah, it's really a scam the way they they, they judge presidents. Like if you look like Warren Harding was always well, like like 
dead last or close to dead last. And if you look, Warren Harding fought a depression much more effectively than FDR. Like FDR's re response to the depression prolonged it. We had the longest depression in U.S. history. He went and got us in World War II. FDR's lionized for those things. Like they like like like, like the scholars in academia laud FDR, um, even though I I have him as one of the the three worst presidents. Um, so yeah, don't don't put stock in these things. I guess is my point. Like it's so arbitrary, um, and it, it is frustrating because you see like like some presidents that that did very good jobs. But they're they're really forgotten by history because they they were were peaceful presidents. Um, they rolled back government, did you know, manage things well. But the ones that get all the attention are the ones that start the biggest wars. No, for sure. Government. Last week on the show, actually, we produced five videos, one for each day, though, as part of our bonus content program for the listeners to unlock. And last week we went through the top five most libertarian presidents, and it was John Tyler. Grover Cleveland, Calvin Coolidge, um, and who were the other two? Uh, Martin Van Buren, and uh, who was the last one? Let's see. Uh, oh, and uh, Chester A. Arthur. Those were the top five. Now, this week, since it's President's Day and kind of President's Week, we're producing the least libertarian presidents. And I thought rather than being like, you know, trying to say, oh, who were the worst presidents in U.S. history, which is kind of a subjective thing. Like, if you're a libertarian, it's going to be obvious. Uh, I decided to just say the top five least libertarian for our bonus content today. And thanks to Joni Rankin, who just donated another 10 bucks. We're $20 on the way to our $50 goal to raise by the end of the show. So thank you all very much. She says, happy birthday, AP. Well, thank you, Joni. I appreciate that. Um, John, let's the talk only about... quibble I got. I got. I got to yeah. weigh in quickly. Yeah, go ahead. John Tyler, like you know, come on, he got us into the Mexican War, right? Like, like it was there. That was, it was hardly libertarian. Well, we had that. Unfortunately, because of the low bar that's been set by the behavior of the presidents, John, uh, we have to grade on a curve. So since we sense. since we have to grade on a curve, that means that you know John Tyler makes the top five because the other presidents are so not libertarian. <laughs> I mean, come on, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, you know, all of these people that uh, that have been president, you know, Barack Obama. I mean, like, the list goes on and on. I'd want to make a case for George Washington. You know, like I, I think if you think uh, top, about it, top Washington. 10. Yeah, top yeah. 10 for sure. Top 10 for sure. But Whiskey Rebellion, you know, Central Bank. Yeah. He showed great restraints, man. Oh, like during the Whiskey Rebellion, during the Whiskey Rebellion, really. Like I, I think it set a great example, right? And, and there was great in Washington. Everybody Stay wanted him to confiscate guns suddenly, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We have this document that said we can't do that." Okay, we'll argue about most and least libertarian presidents later. I'll just say this: that I used the Foundation for Economic Education, your own website, for the research for the top five most libertarian presidents. So like, you know, argue with your own. We're people. libertarians. We did, we, we, we'd, we'd argue on everything. Exactly. Exactly. All right, John. Well, speaking of the least, the, the worst president in U.S. history, according to the academics and scholars is Donald Trump. I mean, apparently we're all idiots and we're going to believe them here, but uh, Donald Trump, $355 million settlement made against him, not to pay back the people that they claim that he defrauded, but just, stolen from the government, $355 million to the state of New York. Your reaction to this story, John? You know, my, my first reaction is you don't have to be a, a trump file to look at this, you know, award as obscene. Um, when you factor in interest, it's closer to half a billion dollars, which is more than 
some GDP for you know small countries. Um, it, it, it's terrifying, really. It really is. Like when you see what's being done done to Trump on this, it is a form of uh, like political terror. Like this is happening. Uh, these are you know it's a political act designed you know to hurt him in 2024. Um, he's going to be able to appeal this, I think, on, a, on appeal. You know, especially if it goes all the way to Supreme Court. If you if you re- read the, the the legal analysts on this, like Trump's probably going to be you know like they're going to look at this as a as an obscene award. Um, the, the the Supreme Court in the past has looked at this stuff and reduced damages that were way smaller than this. Um, if you look at New York, this is going to be more and more people like like are going to look at New York as a climate. Like, why would I ever invest in New York? Um, here here you have a case. This is politically motivated. Um, and the evidence is there was no victim that came forward in this case that hey the the Trump you know organization you know fleeced us like like there was the, you know here they didn't pay back their loan on this and they said this property was worth this none of that happened what you had was Letitia James that campaigned on taking down Donald Trump any way she could she found some ways most states would this would never be able to happen you couldn't even bring this to to, to court because there there's no victim. Um, New York, you know, is, is a different case. They were they found a way to do it. And you, you knew any jury in New York, any judge in New York was going to be kind of hostile to Trump anyway. They, they, they've done business. And how long has Trump been doing business in New York? 40 years, you know, longer. I don't know. Um, and all of, all that time, nothing happened while he gets involved in politics. And, and we see this. Um, and it did remind me a little bit of something you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Austin. And, and it was with the Claudine Gay. And I said, this is a, you know. There is a political motivation behind the plagiarism, and and I pointed that out, and you said, ah, oh, who cares? And I, I do think that matters, and and this is why it matters because they're saying the same thing. They're saying, well, who cares if it's politically motivated? Like it's Trump. We're going to take him down by any means necessary. And the more we go down this road as a society, where we say no holds are barred, we will do anything to take down our political opponents. Um, I think it's just harmful for any country. Um, anybody that wants to be, you know, it, it's, it's to- toxic for people in this, right? Like this is this is not good for anyone. Um, but you make a good point. Like if 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 the left is going to play by that rulebook, are we just going to stand there and take hit after hit after hit? Um, but this is the end game of that, right? Like like we are not just going to go after people, you know, for academic things like plagiarism. Like when it helps us, we will use the force of law to take people down any way necessary. And and, and the left has some some you know. If you look at these these really hard left states, they can use their own systems to to bring people in. They're going to have juries like this is this is going to go down a road. I think that's really dangerous. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is classic lawfare, and I don't see any Republican equivalent to this, John. And whether or not we think it's a good idea to do it, I don't see us changing the the game on this without a little bit of fire, you know, fighting fire with fire to a certain extent. Because I, I don't know. Uh, Here's the thing. Not only has this happened to Donald Trump, but you see it happening to other Republicans around the country, ones that aren't as highly publicized. In the state of Missouri, for example, uh, we had a governor by the name of Eric Greitens, who during his campaign for governor cheated on his wife, which became a humongous scandal. And he was being investigated for all of these different reasons. They were bankrupting him with legal fees to ensure that he would be personally destroyed, even if he wasn't destroyed professionally, until finally he says, okay, I will step down from governor if you will drop all of these charges against me. He steps down, they drop all the charges against him, which just just goes to show they weren't trying to nail him on any principle. 
It wasn't like they were trying to destroy him because they truly believed that he was corrupt. It was because he was a Republican. They had some dirt on him. They embarrassed him uh, personally, and then they destroyed him politically by bankrupting him personally and making it so that he was unable to defend himself. You're right, John. This is absolutely terrifying. I don't know how to fight back against something like this. Do you? No. Well, here's the thing. Like, like the state outguns us on this. Like, it's, I, I just published something on my Substack recently. I looked, and it was the origins of covert political warfare. And George Kennan described this way back in the late 40s, um, how, how the state could get good at covert political warfare like the Soviets did. Like, he looked at Lenin. He's like, oh, my gosh, they're great at this stuff. We're way behind. Now, what we did is we were just doing that to kind of topple governments across, you know, the, the sea. Um, we were using it externally. Okay, we were using it to, to 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 play, you know, political games globally. Well, what's happened? Decades go by, and now the government's using some of those tactics internally. They're using it as it, as it, it, a domestic, you know, political warfare. And you know, when you see governors getting taken down. Um, people investigated for for these things by the FBI. All of this is kind of being orchestrated, and it's all coming out of DC. Um, and you know, it, it goes beyond that, right? Because like like Soros is funding all these state attorneys, like like you know, very very partisan and political state you know states attorneys. Um, this is dangerous, but but it's sort of like the roadmap we've been heading this way for decades and decades. You know, do we unilaterally disarm and just say you know no? You're right that I don't see a lot of Republicans doing this, but they are threatening to at times, right? They, they'll threaten to to do this. But I think nobody wants to. I think there is an understanding like this is a road to hell if we go there. I think right now we let the process pay out, play out. I do think Trump legally is on very good ground. Um, I think this award is going to go, you know, he might get slapped on the wrist. That that $460 million judgment when, when you include interest, um, I don't think he is going to pay that. Um, I you know hopefully he gets out of New York and th there are going to be repercussions you know for for New York there and then you look at these other cases around the country in Georgia the Willis case looks like a complete disaster um, you know but all of this like like Americans need to step back and, and recognize what's happening um, there is something very French Revolution about all this like we're not lopping heads off yet but we are weaponizing the judicial system you know for political purposes and it's extremely dangerous. Completely agree. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to John Miltimore. He's the editor at large for the Foundation for Economic Education, and he joins us on Mondays. We call it Mondays with Miltimore. Talking to him a little bit about that that judgment against Donald Trump in the amount of three hundred and fifty five million dollars. I'm reading that in terms of his liquid assets, he's worth three three billion dollars total, but he only has four hundred million dollars in actual liquid assets. So uh, in terms of what he would have to do if he doesn't, man, he's got to sell a lot of sneakers in order to cover this, um, to cover this. But um, I do hope that, uh, you know, at the end of the day that he gets this knocked down in appeal, but we'll see. I'm reading this other article in the New York Times this morning, and uh, I'd love to get your take on this, John. The article's title is Anti-Trump Burnout. The resistance says it's exhausted. Bracing for yet another election against Donald Trump, America's liberals are feeling the fatigue. We're kind of like crisis out, one Democrat said. Let me just read you a little part of this, and I want to get your take on it. Some folks are burned out on outrage, said Rebecca Lee Funk, the Washington-based founder of 
the outrage a progressive activism group and resist they sell resistance apparel people are tired i think last election we were desperate to get trump out of office and folks were were willing to rally around that singular call to action this election feels di different uh you think the democrats might be getting burned out this year i mean at some point everything being the end of the world trump russia putin nato hillary clinton joe biden i mean they've got to be feeling tired over there joe john yeah i i think they probably are but i'll look at it this way it's like a boxing match right like they might be in the second round and they're they're tuckered out right now and they're, they're gonna lose some momentum but you find a way to just keep going right like because that's what i think that's what's going to happen now and what's going it, to it, it, let's, let's assume trump wins all of that that it's going to reignite all those feelings right like suddenly the the, the, the tired part is going to go away because they're, they're going to have a renewed strength because the man they despise is back um i would just say like like this is all all the reason not to get so wrapped up into politics and in your candidates it, it it kind of consumes you and it's very liberating when i'll say this as a libertarian where i don't kind of pick sides and you know it's liberating i don't have to apologize for all the you know dumb stuff that trump does and says and he does a lot and i don't have to i, I can attack trump when he does something dumb i can attack biden when he, when he does you know horrible things um there's something liberating about that don't don't tie your yourself to any of these political wagons um you'll find yourself suddenly defending things that you wouldn't that you don't believe in and i'm not saying you you, you, you can't vote for trump i'm not saying you can't vote for biden but but don't let these political candidates become part of your own identity. John, um, reading to you from the King James Bible, uh, Revelations uh, chapter 3, verse 16. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, John, is there a special place in hell for people who ride fences like yourself? No, like I, if you look, what are they talking about? They're, they're, they're talking about your own, your, your religious faith. They're not talking about false idols. And I think that's what we have here. We have false, people make politicians their idols. And I think it's, it's, it's just silly. We do sell a little Trump Buddha idol for those of you who idolize him over at APForLibertyShop.com. John, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? No, just check out our content at Fee.org. And I'm on Substack under the take by John Miltimore. There you go. Substack under the take by John Miltimore joins us on Mondays with Miltimore. Give it up for John. Thank you, John. We appreciate you, brother. Happy President's Day. Hey, thanks Day. for having me on, AP. You have a great week. Yep, you too. Right, John Miltimore. Click like and subscribe to the channel if you enjoy that kind of content because we do it every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time here on the Wake Up America show. We stream live. The Wake Up America show is a little small enterprise, a one-man, one-woman enterprise, especially my wife who works so hard to help us produce all of the content for all of the marketing purposes for the show. If you've ever seen an advertisement for APForLibertyShop.com on our Twitter page or Facebook page and thought, oh, well, that's very clever and cute. Well, it was probably my lovely wife, Stephanie. So give it up for Steffi. She's the power behind the throne, if you will. And uh, we're grateful to her for helping us to grow the show. We've got to raise $35 more by the end of the show in order for us to unlock the bonus content today. The theme for the bonus content this week is the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. Last week, we did the top five most libertarian presidents, and apparently John Miltimore had a little bit of beef with my John Tyler pick, Tyler uh, Tippecanoe and Tyler too. 
Uh, you can find out today one of my picks for one of the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history by making a Rumble Rant donation today. If you go to ap4libertyshop.com and make a purchase, that will count towards unlocking the bonus content as well. And if we raise $50 by the end of the show, then you'll unlock the bonus content. Somniferum joins us here on the show today, says, nice, Austin. Thank you. Uh, I am very nice. Wes Angle joining us, I think, for the first time, says, fight back by fighting for making AGs, attorney generals, and judges liable for using lawfare. They should not be immune from prosecution. What do you think? Do you agree with that? Love to hear your thoughts at 573-319-1586. The text lines are open again anytime, night or day, Monday through Friday. We like to chat with people live during the show. But if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast later and you'd like to chime in, I do check the text messages in the evenings when I'm writing the show. So send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, text lines are open at 573 573- 319-1586. Donald Trump sat down for an interview on Fox News the other day. Here's what he had to say. So it's a terrible, terrible thing. But this country is going to come back. It's going to be better than ever before. I rebuilt it to a level that nobody had ever seen. I then rebuilt it again, and it was very strong. But now it's starting to go bad. And inflation is a very, very bad thing. I was here with Jimmy Carter. And the good news is Jimmy Carter is a very happy man because he's no longer going down as the worst president in history. So he at least should be very content and very happy. But I was here during the inflation or stagflation, if you'd like to call it that, of Jimmy Carter. It was a disaster. And this is much worse. So it's a... What do you think there, Mr. President? On President's Day, in about 10 minutes, we're going to speak to Colin Wright. He is a professor and evolutionary biologist who gave a speech to to debunk many of the myths surrounding gender. He gave a half-hour lecture last month that was highly praised by another evolutionary biologist, some of you might know, Richard Dawkins, uh, who wrote uh, several books on the topic. And we're going to talk to Colin Wright uh, in about 10 minutes from now about this question of biological sex and why he felt the need to give this definitive lecture explaining uh, why there are two distinct biological sexes. Some of this stuff goes over my head because I am not a scientist. Hopefully he'll be able to explain it to the rest of us like we're five. You're all probably smarter than I am when it comes to these things. So uh, maybe you'll be able to understand it better than I can. So if you have questions for Colin, who will be joining us here in a few minutes, make sure you get them in now at 573 573- 319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. We're all this young woman today at Philadelphia's Sneaker Con uh, talking about Donald yes, Trump. Yes, we need him. He's a Christian. He's a good, honest man. They're after him for no reason. Go out and vote for Trump. Vote Trump. No paper. Go out and vote for Trump. He's a good man. Look at his face.
<laughs> Peter's JJ77 says, Oh my God, she could go to the seashore and herd whales with those high squeaks. <laughs> Justin! How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Dare you? Yes, I did. I, I laughed so much when I watched that uh, clip that I knew I had to share with you guys. Uh, we've got lots more great content to go, including a forgot to announce. We've got a special surprise guest joining us on the show today, right after Colin Wright. You're not going to want to miss that. Who do you think it could be? Who do you think you are barging in on me and my guitar, little girl? Hey, the door is that way. You better go. You know the fire's out anyway. Take your powder. Take your candle. Your sweet whisper I just can't handle. We'll take your hair in the moonlight. Shall we go? HMobile says, happy birthday, AP. I've always had a favorite birthday song. I can't actually sing um, the happy birthday song because, you know, a strange twist of fate. Somebody copyrighted it. Uh, and I actually, I think Michael Jackson did initially, but then somebody else bought the rights. Look it up. Trust me. Go, go, you don't believe me. Google it. But uh, apparently you can... Um, get in big trouble if you sing the happy birthday song and you can have like a royalty takedown issued against your stream so my favorite birthday song was always just this ready this is your birthday song it isn't very long hey there it is that's it Yes, this is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey, the Wake Up America show brought to you by viewers and listeners just like yourself. Thank you for all the birthday wishes. Appreciate that. Uh, we're going to go get our buddy Colin Wright, and we're going to talk to him about why there are only two sexes and why is it so controversial. We're going to talk to him about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Don't go away. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and thankful to have you here. We appreciate all the kind birthday wishes. I share my birthday with Jeff Daniels, the dude himself. Oh, yeah. Millie Bobby Brown, Victoria Justice. I have no idea who that is. And Ariel Kebble. Anybody have an idea? I feel like I'm famous, more famous than some of these people. <laughs> Uh, well, I've got my next guest who's even more famous than me. His name's Colin Wright. He's an evolutionary biologist and a member of the Manhattan Institute. He's joining us live this morning, right now. Good morning, Colin. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Welcome. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Colin, uh, I saw that you had been retweeted and posted by none other than the famous evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, uh, who was commenting on a speech that you gave uh, I'm not sure when you gave this speech, uh, but uh, I, I watched um, uh, the the video of it last night, uh, where you were talking about uh, the concept of biological sex, why sex exists, and why it's important in biology to identify and differentiate between the two sexes. 
then I saw that one of my favorite writers, Michael Shermer, had done the same. He had he had retweeted this article that was discussing you debunking someone else in the scientific community by the name of PZ Myers on this concept of biological sex. So big picture, before we get into the nitty gritty details, and I start getting confused by all these big words, uh, would you share with us essentially what's at stake here, what what your speech was about, and specifically your challenge to PZ Myers? What was it? And what were you trying to communicate? Yeah, so there has been a concerted effort from a lot of academics to try to blur the boundary between males and females to make uh, claims like sex is not binary, there's more than two sexes, sex is a spectrum, sex is a social construct where there's not even, you know, anything we can really say are male and female, these are just like figments of our imagination. Uh, and this is influencing many things, it's influencing, you know, the ability to have women have their own, you know, uh, bathrooms and locations like uh, prisons and sports. Uh, it's affecting things like uh, the medical industry, specifically with regard to like gender medicine, because they have this idea that, well, you can change your sex by changing a bunch of different, your, you know, your secondary sex characteristics, like your breasts and getting facial hair and deepening your voice. Uh, and this is used to justify sort of transitioning minors uh, and even even adults as well uh, as like this, this medical care. It's, it's premised on this idea that sex is something that's mutable. And so I'm simply just saying that actually that is not the case. Sexes are, are real biological entities. And I'm just sort of going back to, you know, things that we've that were completely uncontroversial in biology 10 years ago that now we seem to try to be blurring the line for political ends. So that's what I was giving in my, my talk about, just basically saying why sex is binary. There's only two, what it means to be male and female. And then I was responding to PZ Myers, who is a biologist in Minnesota. Uh, because he was extremely confused about what sex was. He said the sex can be related to all these other different traits like hormones and mating displays and behaviors and things like that, which is just categorically false. So PZ Myers is a biology teacher, and he has been attacking the concept of sex as a binary, arguing that characteristics used to recognize sex uh, aren't binary. Things like chromosome constitution, genital configuration, body color, and so on. Therefore, sex itself can't be binary. So he says you cannot define people by their gametes. What does this mean? <laughs> so gametes are uh, either sperm or ova. They're the thing that make individuals male or female. So what PZ is doing um, and what a lot of people are, are doing, or at least if, if they're ignorant, they're just confused, is they're conflating things that are called sex-determining mechanisms, which are the things that, uh, that cause an embryo to develop into a male or female. So for humans, we use chromosomes. Those determine how you develop in utero. Other species, like many reptiles, turtles, alligators, they use certain temperatures that they're incubated at. That causes the egg, the embryo inside the egg, to develop into a male or female. Uh, in, some insects do it completely differently, but there's there's definitely a wide uh, diversity of ways that nature has uh, has evolved in order to determine sexes embry embryologically. Um, and then there's sexes, which are just male and female. That's uh, you know what sex determine determining mechanisms lead to. And then there's all these things called you know downstream consequences of one's biological sex in behavior and size and coloration, mating displays, all of those things. Those are related to sex, but they're not what sex is per se. Uh, so it's really important to distinguish between, you know, 
the causes of sex, sex itself, and then the downstream consequences of sex. And this is something that a lot of biologists, uh, scientists, activists are doing now, is they're trying to conflate all of these things and say, oh, it's so diverse, everything's so not binary, therefore sex is not binary. And they're just missing the point completely. So Colin, the, um, the question that sex is distinct from gender is one that activists will frequently tout to suggest that there is a spectrum in regards to identification. They'll say that sex is not the same thing as gender. Do you agree or disagree? How do you respond to activists who suggest that sex may be immutable, but gender is not? So as a biologist, I, I like to define what sexes are. So that's where I stake out my, uh, my claim there, because that's an unambiguous term. Um, then some people use the word gender as a synonym for sex, and then some people do not. And then some people will just conflate them all in order to try to confuse you. So there is some people who define the word gender as being distinct, uh, which refers to just sort of like your the type of expression you have, variations of masculinity or femininity, uh, and how you identify with those sort of uh, stereotypes of, of, of males and females. Um, that's all fine and good. People can talk about gender as relating to expression or how one identifies in relation to stereotypes. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm ta I, I want to make sure that people aren't conflating that with biological sex. And that's what's going on. So people are free, in my, in my view, to, to have different definitions of gender, as long as we make sure that sex uh, is not conflated with all of these other types of definitions. Understood. Uh, if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson, and I'm speaking to Colin Wright. He is an evolutionary biologist. Uh, and a writer at the Manhattan Institute. He's joining us live this morning to discuss a controversy within the scientific community about the definitions of sex and whether or not these traits are immutable. Uh, Colin is arguing that they are. Uh, a biology teacher by the name of P.Z. Wright is arguing that these traits are not immutable, that sex is fluid, as many activists have argued in recent years. Uh, and this has sharply divided many in the scientific community but also uh, amongst the, in the bigger philosophical questions, the atheist community, as Richard Dawkins, who praised Colin Wright, my guest's work, uh, has been giving um, uh, lectures in recent years talking about um, why sex itself is important, as Colin here is sort of buttressing his arguments. Uh, and many in the scientific community are arguing something separate. They're saying, people like PZ Wright are saying, uh, that sex is not an immutable trait, uh, as if to try and buttress the arguments of leftist activists uh, who are trying to advance an ideology or a philosophy. But speaking of the question of ideology or philosophy, Colin, I know that this is something uh, that you weigh into as well. Do you think that the left is trying to impress their ideology on science? Many people who watch this show um, believe this because of what happened during the pandemic. Many of them have lost trust and faith in the scientific community because of the behavior of the medical and scientific and public health community during COVID-19. But now with this gender activism, it appears as if we're seeing something similar to COVID-19, that people who are supposed to be rational, critical thinking, scientific minds are being led not by the science, but are being led by ideology. Do you believe that is the case? 100%. I mean, I see, saw it when I was in academia myself. It's the reason I got out of academia, because I was required to, you know, write these diversity, equity, and inclusion statements. Um, and, you know, 
have research that's dedicated to that. And even though I studied things like the social behavior of insects and spiders. So uh, it's definitely happening a lot. We have people in order to like sort of appease these DEI goals, uh, they'll do things like they'll have their postdoc or even just, you know, their main research program will be to look at something like why sex isn't binary. And they just, they're fundamentally misunderstanding what sex is. A lot of these articles, the scientific papers they have, will say stuff, something like, literally, this is a call to arms, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're trying to be inclusive to people who identify as something other than male or female. And it's like, well, that's fine. That's a whole thing of activism. You can do that in your, your spare time if you want to. But this isn't science. This isn't science at all. Uh, and a lot of journals are sort of just paralyzed to push this stuff out of it. They can't do anything because they'll be, uh, you know, they'll be called bigoted, transphobes, uh, what have you. Uh, so this is the case now. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people that are writing these papers and they're getting in scientific articles right now. And then they're just people are citing these things as fact uh, when they just miss a fundamental point uh, and are, are just rooted in ideology over reality. If that is the case, I mean, seeing how there is such a lack, a fundamental lack of trust in the scientific community, who do you look to these days and, and draw inspiration from uh, that hasn't you know, sort of lost their minds uh, since the pandemic and been overtaken entirely by ideology. Who are you particularly um, following in terms of their scientific work uh, that you feel still has their feet, uh, you know, on firm ground? So on this topic, you know, you really have to go for people who are independently funded or who are retired because they can actually speak their minds on these these subjects. Someone like Richard Dawkins, who just shared my talk, uh, he knows what males and females are. Uh, a lot of my colleagues who, you know, disowned me when I was in academia, they, you know, idolized Richard Dawkins as well as I did. So it's good to hear from Dawkins. Other people like Jerry Coyne, who's a world-renowned evolutionary biologist, he was retired several years ago from the University of uh, Chicago. He's able to talk on this type of stuff. Other people like Heather Hying, uh, Brett Weinstein's wife, you know, they're independent. They have a podcast. She knows what we're talking about here. Uh, it's just, it's been this trend, though, that the only people who seem to understand what biological sex is are the ones who are, have, su have substacks, have podcasts, uh, or, or retired and can't be canceled, or who are just independently wealthy like Richard Dawkins. So, uh, yeah, that seems to be sort of a troubling trend. But it's good that, you know, they're out there able to say these things. Do you still have faith in the process of peer review? Because it appeared as if during the pandemic that peer review was used to gatekeep bad science in and keep good science out. It totally depends on the topic. I mean, it's, it's, when you get close to things that are any bit political, the peer review just goes out the door because we have a very you know left-leaning slant in academia. Uh, so all the editors, all the reviewers, they're going to be, their political ideology is going to show through. Uh, but if you're just doing something about like, you know, the morphology of, you know, the jaws of a tree frog or whatever, uh, you know, things that just have no political valence whatsoever, peer review is fantastic for these types of things. If you're doing cancer research, you know, anything that just is not related to politics whatsoever. But as soon as you get anything that has become politicized, the science goes out the door. It is mostly ideology over over uh, reality in these situations. Would you apply that to the concept of scientific consensus as well? Because it seems as if it's easy to reach consensus when dissenting voices are silenced or punished in the professional fields as you have been. Absolutely. We hear people say that, you know, it's it is consensus or settled science that sex is a spectrum when I just definitively know that is not the case. And if you actually took a, a silent poll 
of biologists <laughs> that would it would be nowhere near approaching a consensus. So when we look at the the question of scientific consensus in in a question that is so highly politicized like climate change, I'm not a scientist, Colin, but uh, I, I have pretty good instincts when I feel as if people are trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Is climate change one of those issues as well that we might say could use a healthy injection of skepticism when CNN reports that there is a consensus on scientists on this one? Or do you come, do you find yourself falling in line with climate scientists on that question? Yeah, so it's it's not my direct field. So it's difficult to read a lot of those, you know, papers with the complex models they have. So uh, it is highly politicized, and I think we definitely need to to acknowledge what would happen to a scientist who published something that was counter to the uh, predominant narrative. And it's pretty clear that they would be demonized; uh, they would come after them. And so that and that that alone should just give us pause and say that, like, okay, uh, we need to get some ideological diversity in here, and just just to make sure that we have people checking out for each other's blind spots. So I would take any field that's political, that's been politicized with a grain of salt. And you really have to do your own research. And this can be really difficult or impossible on uh, subjects that are extremely complex, like like climate models, for instance. So it's it's a it's a tough position to be in. Um, but a lot of our, you know, meaning making, truth seeking institutions, they've become politicized. And it's it's not our fault for being skeptical. And we, we need to be skeptical because they have demonstrated a willingness to be uh, ideological over fact based. It's been painful in recent years, Colin, to see so many of my heroes being brought so low because of the political injection into science uh, and to, uh, into academia uh, and even the arts. Um, you are the, an advisor of a group called Atheists Liberty, so I imagine you're aware of what's occurred with people like Sam Harris and others through the years. Um, there was a new atheist movement led by, you know, you would say, you know, spare, sparsely led, but led by people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett uh, and Christopher Hitchens and others, perhaps 10 years ago, who had much more sway than they do now, where the atheist movement uh, that I, I consider myself an agnostic, uh, but in a similar way to Richard, how Richard Dawkins describes himself as an agnostic, um, and in this, in the atheist movement today, I would say that it is much more splintered and fractured because of the political question. Has it been as painful for you to see the the fall from grace that Sam Harris has engaged in? Someone who, in in his book Letter to a Christian Nation, certainly inspired my early philosophical thinkings on the the question of you know a higher power and the role of religion in our public life. I mean, what has been your reaction to seeing Sam Harris become such a blind and utter partisan on these in these major uh, questions that we're all discussing in the in the modern days? Have been disappointing for you? Yeah, it it has been disappointing to see uh, some of Sam's takes on things like uh, censorship, uh, free speech, and and around those topics. I do think he's a valuable voice on a lot of other topics because he has a huge backlog of things that he's been speaking about and uh, philosophy. Uh, science, um, religion, those things. So I think, you know, he's still pretty good on all that stuff. I do depart from him on sort of the the government tech, big tech free speech issues. Um, but, you know, I can look past certain things because I don't need to agree with everything, everyone on everything. And uh, there's a lot of other people you can go to to sort of fill in those gaps. But the atheist movement in general has just spiraled to a place of insanity where it's embarrassing for me to watch as someone who still you know, considers myself an atheist and non-believer. Uh, I, I can't 
really talk to any of those people anymore because they've taken on sort of this new religion of sort of like a woke ideology where they just uh, they they you know give their fealty to that whole thing. Um, and they're impossible to talk to. They are impossible to talk to, Colin. I, I I identify so much more with Christian conservatives and Republicans because despite my disagreements with them on the theological questions of the day, I ca- I care less about that than I care about my freedom of speech and my freedom of thought, which which is being defended far more by right wing Republicans than it is by leftist atheists. Leftist atheists have have truly be- have become true believers to uh, to a large extent in this woke ideology that is that uh, praises censorship and authoritarianism and uh, it has a stalinist view of of society in regards to what opinions and views are, are tolerated and which are not so i imagine you must be feeling the same way that i am in regards to looking at people like ourselves who are supposed to be the beacons of reason and rationality uh, bought into cult mentality as bad, if not worse, than the people that they criticize. Yeah, I mean, this is why I, I'm not sure if you know that I, I'm the originator of that cartoon that showed the person who's in the center, and then the political left kind of moved from beneath their feet over the years, and they see, you know, now that they're, you know, they've remained still their entire life politically and where they they sit with their principles, but the left has like pulled the political spectrum out to the left so far. But now, you know, I'm kind of sitting on the center right, even though I've just remained still uh, the entire time. So, yeah, it's it's been terrible to watch that happen. And I, I hope we can get back to a place of sanity um, because I, I don't sit quite that comfortably with people on the right on many issues. Uh, but that's kind of where I have to be now. And that's that's where I happen to be most comfortable, because those on the left right now, even in the atheist community, those who you'd think that I share the most things with, uh, I completely unable unable to speak to in any sort of rational sense. I consider myself to be a a pro-life libertarian Republican and an agnostic on the questions of uh, a higher power. Um, My experience in 2018 when I ran for U.S. Senate as a Republican was quite interesting. I remember going to many of the rural communities here in Missouri and people had taken quotes of mine from, you know, decades ago in my conversations when I used to be a rabid atheist. Uh, and uh, and were were very highly skeptical of me. But by the end of my campaign, after getting to know these people in the Republican Party and many of these Christian conservatives, uh, many of the people who started out angry and bitter opponents of mine had become good, close friends. Uh, and we found that we agreed on much more than we disagreed. It's certainly been a realignment in my own personal politics and my view of society and uh, and philosophy. Uh, and uh, I think there's definitely room even for people like yourself on the right, uh, Colin, even if it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Sometimes I do, too. Colin, is there anything else that you, you would like to share with our listeners or plug before we let you go today? Um, you know, if you want to learn more about the biology of sex, uh, I would recommend going to my Substack. It is realitieslaststand.com. I've got tons of articles, uh, a few videos on the issue, and it's just, you know, your one-stop shop for uh, some accurate information on the biology of sex. And of course, we can follow you at x.com on at swipe right, but W-R-I-G-H-T, swipe yes. right. Colin, thanks so much for getting up early and for being so generous with your time. And thanks for being a voice of reason in a sea of insanity. We appreciate your time today. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. Had a good thank time. You very, thank you very much. What do you all think of Colin Wright? Let's give him a round of applause. How about it? 
Click like and subscribe to the channel. And don't forget that if you want to unlock the bonus content today, we got to raise 35 more dollars. Do you think that we can do it? I don't no, know if we're going to make God! it. No, Only 40 God, more minutes please, to go. No! no! If you no! want to unlock the bonus content no! today before it goes away forever, then you've got to make a Rumble rent donation, at least $35 by the end of the show in order for us to unlock the bonus content. Or if you go to the APForLibertyShop.com store right now, you could buy a couple of boxes of coffee, you could buy a hoodie, you could buy a pair of sneakers, and that'll unlock the content. What do you say? All right, well, I promised a special guest, and I will deliver the special guest when we get back from this commercial break. Two minutes. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Who do you think this is going to be? Surprise guest. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Happy President's Day. It's my birthday. Yeah, 43 years old today, getting to just about the middle of middle age, yes. But I don't know, I feel great. And I am, unlike many government employees, a worker today. I will be working on my birthday, yes. Well, not entirely. I'm gonna chillax a little bit today um, because my wife took the day off Steffi P for Liberty because she wants to show me one of her love languages which is special time and since she's very special she's a special guest joining us live right now Steffi hey what's up surprise surprise happy Sur birthday Mr. President <laughs> happy birthday Mr. President <laughs> happy birthday Mr. President happy birthday to you boy if you weren't already knocked up Stephanie I'd knock you up right here right now <laughs> thanks so much for joining us today Steffi yeah, anybody I love, including myself, I always take the day off for their birthday. Thank you for that. It's very special. Appreciate that very much. I think my mom started that trend because she has always gone above and beyond for birthdays. So I do that for other people, too. Glad to have you here. So there's three of us here on set today. You, I... you, me, and Baby T. <laughs> two special guests. That's right. Two special guests. And you're just now starting to get that baby bump. People oh. were worried. Uh, oh, you I didn't, know. But you didn't ice cream over the weekend did, i know we got that did you know that today is national mint chocolate chip day are you kidding i'm me? not kidding oh my god wow that's my very favorite ice cream yes. and timothy mcveigh's as well yes it's just kind of weird that mm. i know that fact from seventh grade that is kind of weird but yeah. uh, it's national yeah. mint chocolate chip day it's my birthday okay, let's, oh, let's see. see if we can let's see, the, see the bump can we see the bump I try to wear like loose fitting clothes now, but um, let's see. Let's we can see. get we're getting a little bit of a bump. There it is, the tiny little bump. Give it up, a Steffi P. Yay! Yes, people were very concerned that you were four months in and weren't bumping yet, but you are bu officially bumped. So glad to have uh, Baby P for Liberty here today. Do us a favor, click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We'll be glad to have you. As a regular guest on the show, it's your first time watching us here today. 267 people watching us oh, live. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. It went up. Went up. Yes. We might be featured. I'm not entirely sure. Wow. But it's President's Day. We've been talking a little bit about the legacy of the president. Stephanie and I went to the Harry S. Truman Museum in Independence, Missouri this weekend. And she had been wanting to go for a long we time. Did. Yes. I really have been wanting to go. And I mean, we saw Give Him Hell Harry. Mm -hmm, that, the, the uh, play. that presentation yeah it was like a one-man act that his grandson did mm -hmm. it was so so good and 
don't know. I like Harry Truman. Mm, why? I know he's very you, controversial. You're supposed to dislike Harry Truman because you're a libertarian. And since he was not a perfect libertarian, uh, he should go to hell and burn there for uh, all time. And therefore, we hate him and we have to dislike him and do what other people say. Boo, Harry Truman. No. But Harry Truman actually was a fascinating character. He was a war hero. Yeah, he was in World War One, and I told you at the museum he reminded me of you. Why is his it? personal life? Why do you say that? Because he liked music. He read the Bible a lot. Um, I know those two things in particular were a lot like you. He, he was, was just a, very much an intellectual. He was a farmer, and then he moved he to the big like farming very much. That's like... the other thing. <laughs> you grew up on a farm, but like you were not a farmer. Yeah, he liked to dress well, yes. and he was a haberdasher. Yes, That's so true. his hats, they reminded me of you, mm -hmm. how he dressed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so it's like he, he had style. Yeah, and his farm was actually down the street from my farm in Grandview. Yes. So he grew up Which really close to where I was. Your values are a little bit similar. To Harry Truman. Because he grew up in a similar area. And the thing about Harry Truman that we that we were really talking about the most this weekend was were all of the major decisions that Harry Truman had to make. Oh my gosh. Starting because yes. I believe he was only vice president for something like 40 days before he became president of the United States. So a very brief period. He only got to meet with FDR privately twice. Right. Right. And, so it was quite a shock when he had to become vice or when he had to become president after being vice president for a short time. And he did not know about the existence of the atomic bomb until 10 days into his presidency that they finally approached him about it. The reason that he got famous and was picked to be the vice president, he was a compromise pick at the Democratic National Convention mm -hmm. because he had made a good name for himself in that when, uh, during the war, he was a fiscal conservative. He would go and he had a, uh, the Truman Commission and would go out and try and find waste, fraud, graft and abuse and cut spending from military defense programs to ensure that there was not being too much money spent. As a, a World War I veteran, he knew about how defense contracting would potentially waste taxpayer dollars. And Harry Truman, being a conservative Democrat at the time, cut waste, fraud, and abuse from military defense spending, which I think a lot of libertarians would celebrate. Oh, absolutely. I also found it intriguing that he used tax dollars to pay his brother-in-law yes. to fix, was it the roads or to fix some sort of... There Maybe was train so when, when he was like a county judge, uh -huh. he uh, he had to uh, look the other way and had to hire his brother-in-law and do, in order for him to accomplish certain things that he wanted he had to, to look accomplish, the other way a lot. Yes, the Pendergast machine. Yeah, that was kind of controversial. He yes. was he was really in with the Pendergast family, and they were not good people. But you know what? You got to go along to get along sometimes. Yeah, the the you realize that you know with the, this is around the time the same time as the Battle of Athens, which is a documentary we're working on this year that the democratic political machines controlled politics at the time. Yeah. And you didn't, if you wanted to build a county road, which he managed to accomplish, you could do it. But if you wanted to have the cement be, you know, to, if you wanted the cement, it had to be bought from the Pendergast machine. Right. Right. So uh, it's like you had to make them like you in order to get anywhere. So that's where you say in terms of your principles, is it worth it to become friends with people that don't really match your values? values?
Right. And that and that is a difficult question for people like ourselves, whether you're a principled conservative or a principled libertarian. If you want to get into politics to change things, you're not going to be able to have it your way all the time. Right. So the, politics is not Burger King your way right away at Burger King. Now, it's, <laughs> it's not going to work that way. You're going to have to be make deals and make compromises in order to get some good things done. And some bad things might be done along the way. And that was that was Harry yes. S. Truman's career at, all the way up until he became a U.S. senator. And he had to work hard to gain respect as a senator because you know what they called him? What did they call him? The senator from Pendergast. Yes, yes, yes. Because he was known to like those people. He was known to, and he was uh, he was the senator from Pendergast, as, as what they called him, and nobody thought he would amount to anything. So while he was in the Senate, he was he he knew that he had to build up a good reputation by fighting against waste, fraud, graft, and abuse, you know, uh, holding his commissions during World War II to ensure that there was not being, you know, uh, that the money that was being spent on the war was not being grafted away. And the most shocking thing for me, a lot of shocking things at this museum, he was part of the KKK. He actually no. paid the dues. Well, he did. He it, paid the dues one time. One time. So at the very beginning, he had a, he had a conversation with the KKK. And he had in he in his earliest writings, Harry S. Truman wrote a lot of racial slurs. He did, but but then when I reacted to that, you were like, "Well, everybody did back in every Democrat." I'm like, "Every Democrat." I know, I know. The Democrats were the party. Of, the Democrats were the party of the KKK. You know, which is shocking to me. Yes. Because here's the thing. Okay, like I guess I'm just silly, but to think this way. But I think of Democrats as those peace, love, justice, equality. That's what I think of when I think of Democrats. Mm -hmm. That's what they but, want you to think, but apparently it's not that the KKK was Democrats. The, the KKK was the Democrats. What That's the right. heck? The Democrats were the party of the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Uh, and Harry S. Truman initially met with them when he was running for office the first time, but then he backed away from that and he he uh, uh, renounced them and he started a push for civil rights. Um, by the end of his term, he had the anti-lynching law. Yes, anti-lynching. I believe he integration uh, of the military. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Harry S. Truman is a very complicated figure, and he had to make certain decisions along the way that libertarians love to criticize him for. But if you are, if you were to walk a mile in Harry's shoes, you may find that some of the decisions that you might have made would have still resulted in a terrible outcome. The first of those major, big, problematic decisions would have been the use of the nuclear bomb. Stephanie, what did you think about Donald? Oh, no, excuse me, Donald Trump. Harry Trump. Harry Trump. <laughs> Harry S. Truman and the decision to use the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We saw the little um, paper crane that was there. Do you want to tell that story? Oh, there was this little girl that um, got leukemia mm -hmm. from uh, the nuclear bomb, and so she made. I don't know how many thousands of paper cranes in her hospital bed before she died, mm -hmm. but there was actually one little teeny tiny paper crane that was still left that was donated to the museum. Mm -hmm. But in terms of his decision, I mean, it was really hard. We saw the map that he had that Harry Truman, well, I guess the military had. In the White House. Yes. And it was like a National Geographic magazine map. I mean, it was not precise whatsoever. They were like making little markings, you know, being like, okay, attack here. 
And the invasion of Tokyo will happen here and all right. this, right? It was, yeah, they it's had just like, blown up a national geographic map. I don't know where to map. exactly send something because it's just <laughs> such a not detailed map. Right. And I mean, their options were were so limited. It's like send in the military mm-hmm. and then you could kill millions of Americans. The estimate was that if they had uh, if they had launched Operation Downfall, mm-hmm. an invasion of Japan could have cost uh, up to a million American lives. Right. And so if, we have that. So, but in, And if you're president of the United States and nobody knows what the bomb is going to be able to do, the, uh, a team of scientists, we saw the letter, asked him not to drop the bomb on Japan, but to do a demonstration test of it and show it to the Japanese. Yes, but he didn't get that notice. He didn't get that notice in time for the the conference that he was at. I believe it was a Potsdam or Yalta, I can't remember. But but it didn't matter because they did have decisions and a committee Mm -hmm. to use the bomb, and they did discuss whether or not they should have done a demonstration. And they discussed not to because if they failed, then we would look very weak. Yes. So and so there were a lot of discussions and deliberations about the proper use of the nuclear bomb, where it would Mm -hmm. land, why they would use it. Um, And and this is one thing that, you know, that separates me from anarcho-capitalists is that I believe that Harry Truman made the right decision. And this reminded me of the whole Hamas thing in Israel, because it said that the Japanese military purposely set up base. Mm -hmm. Where all of the people were, all of the civilians. Gee, doesn't that sound so familiar? Like Hamas. Hamas sets mm-hmm. up their little camps well, where all the women and children are. And we and it, it is a lie that Hiroshima was not a military target. You and I went to Hiroshima a year ago. Yes. We went to the museum and there was one tile there that specifically said what? The tile that said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I've it's learned a, so much information it's all right. recently. It's a lot. Hiroshima, uh, Hiroshima has always been a military city. Oh, yes. It's always been a military city. Hiroshima yes. was a military was target. The, the Navy was there. Uh, the war industry and munitions factories were mm-hmm. being were uh, held there. Uh, and so it is a lie, a, a smear of Harry Truman that they were specifically targeting civilians uh in, in oh, this yes, they in were this not bomb. doing that and they had uh, sent down those paper flyers to warn the people mm-hmm. too before they bombed hiroshima mm-hmm. didn't they y- yes they yeah. did do they called them the lamay leaflets yes right uh and they didn't say exactly what they were going to do but they said that they were going to unleash a terrible power like in the city you need yeah. to get out of this city yeah for sure yes so um well, uh, for go ahead Oh, and then I was going to say, and then the next thing that really boggled my mind at this museum was foreign aid. Ah, the so, issue of foreign aid. So, did you know anything about the Berlin airlift before we went into the Harry S. Truman Museum? No, the only thing I knew about was a little bit about the Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. just separating Germany. I had no idea about the Berlin airlift giving giving aid to the people over there. So, after World War II, the uh, the city of the Berlin had been captured by the Soviets. And during the deal that was placed afterwards, there was uh, East Berlin that was held by the Soviets, West Berlin that was controlled by the Allies, France, England, and the United States. So mm-hmm. there was a there was an Eastern sector and a Western sector, but all of Berlin was surrounded by the Soviet forces. So Berlin was cut off by the Soviets, and. There were no trains, no no uh, automobiles, no ground transportation into Berlin was allowed. Right. 
in order for the Soviets to try and drive the Allied powers out of Berlin so that they could con control uh, all of Germany. Well, Harry S. Truman made the decision that he was not going to allow the Russians to starve his people out and the people of West Berlin out. And so he conducted a year-long operation, a campaign of foreign aid, Yes. To fly in supplies to ensure that the people in West Berlin would be able to um, to have a system of government that was closer to Western powers until finally Stalin relented. Yeah. I mean, Harry Truman was very afraid of communism. And so he wanted to spread democracy in as many places as possible. Mm -hmm. So he not only gave aid to Berlin... But there was this map at the museum that literally showed the millions, billions, I believe, of dollars that he sent all across Europe. I mean, it was just nearly every country out in that just direction. Shoveling cash. And, and yes. the, the reason why they did that is because they had, after World War I and the Treaty of Versailles, they had destroyed Germany's economy. They, they, the countries who were the losers were forced to pay and it led to the rise of fascism. So Harry Truman made the decision to say, listen, we're not going to make the same mistakes that we made in World War I. We're not going to bankrupt these, com these countries. Right. We're going to rebuild them through the Marshall Plan. Right. It's like, let's try something different because the first thing didn't work, clearly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the question was, was it, a, was it a wiser decision to rebuild the countries, form NATO, and have allies versus allow them to fall to the Soviet Empire? This was the decision that that Harry Truman had to make. Not easy decisions. And certainly these aren't the kinds of decisions that there's any playbook for. No. Right? They didn't he didn't have a book. He didn't have Murray Rothbard's The Ethics of Liberty to sit down and say, "Oh, well, here's the Bible and we just read there's there's a formula here and you just do exactly what the formula says and you're going to get the same outcome every time." Mm -hmm. Right? That's why I said that the trip to the Harry S Truman Museum is is uh fatal to dogma and to ideology. Oh, it certainly was to me. I mean, there were these little books set up all throughout the museum where you could write what you were thinking. So it was like, how do you feel about the nuclear bomb? And you wrote a message in there. Yeah, I said, um, F around uh, and find out. Yeah, I said, don't, don't, I said, don't start none, won't be none. F around and find out. Yes. <laughs> and then there was another book where you could write and it says something about, is it ever okay to give foreign aid? Mm hmm. And I honestly, I could not write in either one of these books because I was like, I just don't know anymore. I mean, my libertarian brain, my libertarian brain, it's like a lizard brain, right? It's basically saying no foreign aid, no foreign aid. Um, basically, you can only spend money on military if you're defending your country, right? That's what libertarians believe. But then I'm like, well, but foreign aid is sometimes necessary to keep your country safe. So that nobody does attack you. So we had this discussion in the car about when is it okay to defend yourself? Is it once the bomb has actually been been dropped on your country or before the bomb has been dropped on your country? Yes, the preemptive strike question. Um, like it just it is so confusing to me. I just don't even know anymore. Yeah, because frequently I'll have conversations like with Judge Napolitano and I'll I'll ask him like tactical military questions. And he he usually he refuses to answer them because he says, I I'm not concerned with the military tactical question here. I'm not concerned with the question of defense. He says, I'm concerned with the defense of the philosophy, of the ideology. Hmm. 
Well, that's all well and good until you're Harry Truman in the White House. And you have to make a decision. Yes. People are counting on you. Yes. you. You can't just, well, I guess you could do nothing, but then that would mean your country could possibly be if taken you're, over. You're, no, if you're Harry Truman and the president of the United States dies and you're the vice president and you become the president of the United States and you're in the middle of World War II and somebody tells you that they have got a bomb, a massive bomb that they could use to end the war, potentially end the war, or you could send a million of your own soldiers to die on the beaches and, and write a million death, you know, mm -hmm. a, a death notes to send to a million mothers in the United States after all of the death and destruction that's already been occurred that occurred in Europe. And, and you're going to go look the parents of these million soldiers in the eye and said, and say, Oh, I had a bomb, but I didn't use it because I thought it might accidentally hit a hit a civilian, right? It might accidentally harm a civilian while we're attacking these military targets. But yeah, it was the right decision to send your boys to die rather than to make a simple decision to kill 100,000, 200,000 people with these terrible nuclear bombs that we've created. And we have, and here's the thing, we haven't used them since. Right. No, that no one has used shocking. them since. Which, well, that was one of the things that they said was that we may use this power and the world will be so terrified by it that we'll never have to use it again. And that so far has been the case. Roll that big, beautiful bonus content, birthday boy, says Andy Offerman. Thank you, Andy. Oh my gosh, did we get $35? Yeah, Andy dropped it Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Yep, there you go. Uh, CJ824 says, first get the military industrial complex untangled from the government. Start there. It's a great question, but... Uh, Wait, and, what does that mean? Get them get the military industrial from the untangled government? from the government. Start there. But here's another problem that I'll pose to you, uh, Jade, that's going to blow your mind. What is the alternative to a military industrial complex? So they want the military to be private. Is that what this person's saying? Well, actually, they're, that's not really what they're implying with that. When they say okay. get the military, it's... it's yeah, it, I'm not sure what that means, so I, I don't so understand. It's, it's all fun and games to say the military industrial complex is corrupt and, it's, and it, we need to get them untangled from government. It's all fun and games. It's easy to say. But the reality is, is that if we want to have a military, which I imagine that most people tend to agree that we should have a military, right, right. then whose job is it to manufacture the bombs and the planes and the tanks and the guns and the bullets? Do we want the government to do it? Usually it's right now. Is it private companies, private companies. that are doing it like Bosch? Boeing, yeah. Bosch, Northrop Grumman. Okay. Right? These are the companies that are, are the contractors. So what's the alternative? The government would do it. Which would, they would have control over. So we want to the socialize weapons. them. So we want to socialize the means of production of the defense industry. That doesn't sound good to me. Doesn't I think like the quality would like a, suffer for like sure. A terrible idea, right? Right. So it's like we have to go back and listen to what Eisenhower said when he left, and when he talked about the danger that the military-industrial complex poses to our civil liberties, and it certainly does, and it's something that we have to continue. But on the other side, let's put our Harry Truman's, uh, you know, a hat on here. Mm -hmm. And consider that the alternative to a military industrial complex is a government, a socialized means of production of firearms, of the firearms industry, which we do not want. Right. So, no. so, and, and that Eisenhower said, we have been compelled to create a vast permanent armaments industry, meaning that it wasn't a choice. We didn't have a choice to create a military industrial complex. We had to create a military industrial complex. There's a need. The, yes. So the question is, how can we keep maintain private control of the means of production while maintaining our civil liberties and our way of life? And if you can, if you can thread that needle as a libertarian, then the people of the United States might just trust you with power like they did Harry Truman. Yeah. And also his thoughts on Israel, too. 
1948, yes. he announced the that. israel question oh that's a yes. big one that's a big one real quick though let me just reset we've got 500 people watching us live hi guys we must really be featured here something yes. happens unless they're all here for your birthday party i doubt I it invitations thank you stephanie yes uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're tuning into the wake up america show now live for the very first time good morning i'm austin peterson this is my lovely wife, Stephanie Peterson, who's joining us here live. Good morning. Live. It Good feels m- like Friday, but it's not Friday. It's not Friday. It's, I guess, what can we call it? Uh, mommy Monday? No, I don't know. I'm it's a mommy to birth- be Monday. Birthday Monday. Um, <laughs> uh, Quest Fanning just bought a box of Madisonian Morning. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Quest. We appreciate that. getting all kinds of things. Thank you. Andy Opperman, he uh, donated the last $35. We are going to play the bonus, oh. bonus content here in just a few minutes. Uh, but one last question on Harry Truman, because we visited the Harry Truman Museum. This weekend, we're going to talk about the question of the formation of the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, before we get there, though, real quick, do me a favor, click like and subscribe to the channel and come back and join us here Monday through Fridays from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. We stream the show live. Today is President's Day, so we're talking about a trip that Stephanie and I had to the Harry S. Truman Presidential Library, which occurred this last weekend. It was a little birthday trip. Today, today's my 43rd birthday. Thank you for all the well wishes. <laughs> kind wishes. Thank you for that. And so on the final question, the final big question, that was one that uh, a lot of libertarians, um, they, I haven't heard a lot of conversation about it. The question of the, I don't think that there is a libertarian answer for a, a recognition of a foreign state, of a new foreign state. This is not, there is no question about whether or not that's right or wrong in regards I, I to libertarian like views. A, a libertarian president, a purist, would be like, that does not concern me. Uh, potentially. He would say something like that. Like, why should it matter how I view Israel? Well, because you, as the president of the United States, are tasked with foreign policy, as, as are like, U.S. senators. They don't like having foreign relations libertarians well i don't think much i don't here's the thing what the question of entangling alliances right is one that george washington talked about right so peace commerce honest friendship with all nations Mm -hmm. entangling alliances with none they're a hypocrite for saying that though because the american revolution was fought by the united states in conjunction with who britain well britain against britain but who did the united states ally with to win our our peace Oh, it's a major, it was a major, another major European power that the United States. Was it France? It was France. Okay. Without France, there would be no United States. I got to look back on my history here. So the the founding fathers were full of hypocrisies and inconsistencies and do as I say is not as I do's. And, and of course, like Thomas Jefferson, they governed very differently from how they uh, orated Right, because Thomas, it, go ahead. That bothers me too. It bothered you very that much. It really was triggering to me the other week when you did not make any videos about the founding fathers. And I said, what is this? Why are we like putting these founding fathers on a pedestal, but yet they were not libertarian in practice as presidents? This is really upsetting. If you look into Thomas Jefferson's record as the president of the United States, he does not meet the standards that we would hold for the top five. Uh, he used government dollars for the Lewis and Clark expedition. And, and he did the Louisiana Purchase unconstitutionally. Yeah. That was not constitutional. So. Like, what the heck, dude? Like, yes. you're you're going to, you know, participate in all these documents, you know, writing all this stuff, mm-hmm. and then you don't even listen to it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the last big question that Harry Truman had to deal with was the question about whether or not to recognize the state of Israel. His Secretary of State, George Marshall, 
who was a World War II general and a hero, advised him against it. Mm -hmm. uh, his boss at the haberdashery in Kansas City, his Jewish boss, recommended he do it. He was lobbied very, very heavily to do it by, the, of course, the Jewish lobby in the United States, which is still very powerful here in the United States, like APAC and others. Oh, yeah. They lobby quite a bit lobby here in Missouri. Diplomacy. Javier Malay, obviously a big fan of Israel as well, yeah. uh, probably would come down on the side of Harry Truman on that question. And he is an anarcho-capitalist, a libertarian himself. Mm -hmm. So, Stephanie, what did you think about Harry S. Truman's decision to recognize the state of Israel? I mean, I think that's good. There's, It's just so complicated. I know the day after that was announced, then Israel was attacked quite quite a lot. Oh, they were immediately, uh, yes. war was declared upon them. Yes. And then they won the war. And then they were attacked again. And then they won the war again. And they were attacked again. And then they won the war again. And when you and I were talking, we were saying they should have just finished that war right there. Oh, the question of why there is a Gaza Strip, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. and, yeah, we were saying, you know, rather than just like, you know, stopping and starting this fighting, they should just start it and end it. See, now that, so go explain that. Explain well, we that started more. talking about like the nu nuclear bomb idea because mm -hmm. I was like, what other country should possibly use a nuclear bomb? And you were like, what about Israel? What if they used a nuclear bomb? And I was like, oh, like, that would be horrible. Well, they probably wouldn't just because they, you know, in the region where they are, they don't want to use it that it would be near their own country. Right. Flee first, evacuate their own people and then right. exterminate. But uh, yeah, I mean... Because what would have happened if, if they had really taken more extreme measures back in the 1950s? Mm -hmm. Would we still have all the issues that we have today? So the Gaza Strip question, right? So the area known as the Gaza Strip has been inhabited since ancient times. Uh, it was a significant site in various ancient civilizations, Egyptians, Philistines, Romans, the Ottomans. It was part of the Ottoman Empire. It was part of the British Mandate. After World War I, the League of Nations granted Britain the mandate to govern the area of Palestine, which included modern-day Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. But then the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, uh, immediately after the State of Israel was founded, the war was declared against them, and then Egypt occupied the Gaza Strip during this conflict. From 1948 to 1967, Egypt administered the Gaza Strip but did not annex it. Uh, the period saw an influx of Palestinian refugees from other parts of the region. So it was in the 40s to 60s that the Palestinians began to migrate into the Gaza Strip. Mm. Uh, in the Six-Day War, Israel captured the Gaza Strip from Egypt, along with the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and the Sinai Peninsula. After 1967, Israel established military control over the Strip. Settlements were built into the, in the area. The Oslo Accords in 1993 between Israel and the PLO marked a significant step in the peace process, leading to the establishment of a Palestinian authority, which was given limited self-governance in parts of West Bank in the Gaza Strip. And then there was the Israeli disengagement in 2005, and then control by Hamas from 2007 to today. Actually, I don't know if this is real, but I saw somebody post a video on Twitter the other day of, um, I guess, Biden has mm -hmm. been sending aid over to Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. And Hamas is literally like fighting their civilians mm -hmm. over that aid. Yeah. They're not letting them have it. For sure. So it was like that um, that debate that I had with Dave Smith when he brought up this point. He says, Israel is cutting off water to the Gaza Strip. Right. And, and it's like, well, dumb, dumb. 
Um, 95% of the water that is there is controlled by Hamas. Like Israel controls something like 5% of the water that goes to the Gaza right, so Strip. So why are why are they fully responsible? It's, well, no matter when Hamas is also responsible. Well, and this is the big the big quad the foreign policy question. Everything that happens around the United States, according to the imperialist leftists or the the Marxist leftists, is that it's all the response response to American imperialism. This idea that the United States is the primary aggressor in the world and the Jewish state is the primary aggressor in the world mm -hmm. comes from a colonialist view of foreign policy. It started with Harry S. Truman. That comes, well, that goes Harry S. Truman. <laughs> Here's the thing. Harry S. Truman, all he did was recognize the state of Israel. Right. The state of Israel was founded by the Israelis. <laughs> they founded it, and it had started in the late 1800s. All Harry S. Truman did was say, we recognize your legitimacy as a, as a legitimate nation state. Right. Now, we didn't do that with China, and that took like years and years of fighting in the United Nations between, with the United States and Israel saying, well, we don't recognize this as a legitimate government of China because the communists took over mm -hmm. after World War II. Anyways, this is all very complicated. And the There's point, so much The problem stuff. is these decision points, there are no easy answers to these difficult questions. People in, in chats and comment sections will always say, all you had to do with this was this, and it would have led to this and this and this and this. But the truth is, is that we don't know until you walk a mile in Harry S. Truman's shoes. So we got to say, we have to play that video that we unlocked. Play the video as we go out. You know, the bonus content this week is the least libertarian presidents in U.S. history. S. Truman. No. <laughs> Speaking of. No, it's not Harry S. Truman. They're going to find out now. I'm going to play the clip. But before we do, I want to say thank you for all of the kind birthday wishes this morning. Thank you for the Rumble Rant donations. Thank you for purchasing from APForLibertyShop.com for all your support and friendship over the years. The Wake Up America show is going to be turning two years old this September. I'm 43. My show is two. Oh, wow. Baby P for Liberty will be at the celebration. That's right. We'll have my very first child that will be born in July and possibly even the 4th of July if it comes a little bit early. We should yeah, see. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely ahead of schedule. Last we checked at our last ultrasound, they said I was a few days ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. And now at our next one in like about four weeks from now 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 that that scientist guy was on i'm thinking about this whole gender thing we're finding out the sex not the gender yeah well we'll be finding that out here in just a few weeks i'm really excited about that and uh we're gonna make the announcement on the show too of course right yes, yes. on my birthday march 15th march 15th the eyes yes. of march stephanie's birthday she's gonna be here on the show and we will announce right. the gender we decided not to wait to let the kindergarten I mean, that teacher is do it if we can see the parts maybe we can we see will. the parts we will well, Maybe we'll, they're not we'll going to be, be visible. He'll be built I like me. It'll be visible. Oh, no. yeah. You guys, it's <laughs> it's going to be noticeable. Thanks for coming in and joining us today. We appreciate you. Don't forget to click that subscribe button before you go. Hundreds and hundreds of people watching. We want to make sure that you come back. And we'll see you again tomorrow morning on the show. Enjoy your bonus content. Thanks so much for unlocking. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Steffi. Be free. Be free. And we'll see you tomorrow. the worst year for liberty in U.S. history. The 1912 election saw Woodrow Wilson win due to Theodore Roosevelt's vanity and animosity towards William Howard Taft, leading to what libertarians view as one of the worst presidencies in U.S. history.